and welcome back to From Out of Game. I know it's been a little while and I'm still trying to balance out some school stuff with this recreational stuff. Also here in Texas we had a wild storm and I'm going to try to get back on to a few episodes. And I want to start with what I was going to say. Um, the other campaign that I started, and I know recently I just did about the human condition of basically how failure happens, you know, and this was one of those campaigns that came up with Dandy Boys was already running for about a year, and I was I was really into it, so my friends had approached me, and they asked, hey, would you DM for us? And I, I didn't want to say no, so of course I started it, and it was really hard. I learned very fast at least that I was so invested in Dandy Boy's story that it was hard to come up with some other stuff. So I figured with all the nonsense and not not so much nonsense that we'd have been laying down this foundation in Dandy Boys, why not make this other campaign a loose prequel? I figured I had Long Night was always in the history books and it would be a great learning process for me to use in future encounters as i as, as all encounters are forever going they're all about learning from your mistakes and what works what doesn't work so i i did agree to dm this game the most notable thing is that it was going to be four players i i was told that four people wanted to join I would have four characters to DM, and we would do it all over the internet, and we'd play for about three hours, once a month. I, I didn't think anything of it, and we started that campaign back in June of 2020, and without giving away their, their real-life names, um, I, I was hooked because using just parts of their names spelled out something in the Dark Tower series, and I... I, of course, was like, well, uh, I'm going to be in it for this one. So my first issue, like I said, was the writer's block because I was already on Dandy Boys. I was ready, like, pumping out content left and right. And they're such a high level that I couldn't just recycle into this new campaign, especially with, and the most immediate thing I was talking about is, we have someone who's never played Dungeons & Dragons before and they were interested I am more than happy to get new players. I think it's the most fun to see how and someone new to the game wants to take their, their approach on this whole thing. And then I had someone who I've DM'd before, actually two players who I've DM'd before, and then a significant other of one of those players. So four people. And I had to build a new world. And I thought, why not better than just throw them in, in the nitty-gritty the actual long night that we talk about in the Dandy Boys campaign, like, oh, the fabled night that everything was black and everything was rough. So I still had a foot in with the Dandy Boys just so I can keep that creative energy rolling, but I wanted to make sure that this was not just a, a spin-off campaign. I wanted to make sure this was their campaign that they build just like the Dandy Boys do. And we've been playing, yeah, like I said, since June of 2020, and we've had seven 
sessions once a month, two, three, four hours a night. And it, it's a blast. I, I thoroughly enjoy meeting up with them. We have a lot of running jokes. We have a lot of great character development. Um, and it, it really does become its own thing. What I love the most is that I can do all the encounters that just don't really fit in with any anyone else. And not the pirate campaign, not the campaigns I've done before, and not even the Danny Boys really sometimes. So it feels really good to just have all this stuff finally out on paper and we just run it, you know? And the first thing I like to do to solve this writer's block is not only to have that foot in with my my creative side from what I'm already used to from a year's worth of playing that one campaign, Danny Boys, is that I've learned I've been trying to get a little more descriptive. I've tried to learn to be a little more, um, what's the, the right word would be, I guess, flexible with who does what, but I didn't want to be too flexible with this campaign with a new player. So the first step I did is I wrote up a little, a little summary. I'm not going to read it word for word because that'll bore everyone. It's, it's just four pages, double space on Microsoft Word. I wrote that up so that I can see it in front of my face, so that they can see it in front of their faces, and I emailed it out, and we got moving. I think I emailed that in May, and we got started in, Ju in June. So basically, we have Zargon is Dandy Boys, right? So Zargon is, and in fact, the Dandy Boys already met that demon. Zargon is technically the sequel demon, so they had to have someone to look up to. Someone who did the deed of the long night. So we introduce Emerbrawl. I take these words. Sometimes I, I like to use Google Translate and I loosely connect words just to kind of make them sound cool. But for anyone who can easily break apart Emerbrawl, uh, German speakers know Emmer means always. Brawl is the second half of the word umbral, so forever dark. And Emerbrawl is what I got out of that. And... I set up the the basics of a old um, like gothic era era I guess basically where all the races kind of hate each other because of what has come from the fruition of Emerald's success in causing the Long Night. Basically, he was a great demon who took over and you know, just enjoys the suffering. He's a very chaotic demon, as most are right yeah because devils are lawful demons are chaotic so he creates this plan where oh yeah you'll banish me away from all of your your material plane because you're not strong enough to kill me and the darkness won't go away because it's tied to my existence not where i am <clears throat> so we now have this sort of new new playing field where everything can be dark at at any given point daytime is dark time um the, like the sun barely shows itself and i i had a really good <clears throat> sorry if i'm saying really too much i i had a um a good experience on how to set up what it would look like when the eclipse happens back around june maybe july in that in that year 2020 
and when the sun was out it still looked dark it was like this hazy sort of feeling everywhere so on the brightest days that's as bright as it would get till the sun would still be blocked out and on the darkest days it would be like 10 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the afternoon sometimes three o'clock which is like the peak of the sun and it would still be dark super dusk and i i wanted to do this for a couple things one i wanted to see how a world affecting event would affect the gameplay and see how my players would go about that if it would be too much to juggle or how i can change it to use it in later campaigns and how i could really just stay on top of the the ever shifting battlefields because you you add a new element and you can kind of justify a few more things there is creatures that rely on darkness that you wouldn't find above ground and now you can have that but i also don't want to pull that too much because with new players i wanted to make sure no one was too crazy out of the way so i had them start at level two a decision i to this day i don't regret it but it was definitely a rough leveling up and i did not realize it's been so long since i've started at such a low level i did not want to start at level one that it it took a long time and i truly believe they just leveled up last session here in february and they i i truly believe they deserved that level up so we have that obstacle out of the way the writer's block and the new players and like i solved the new player by starting everyone low and we build our way up instead of dandy boys they started at level eight and they were gestalted i went straight shot with this long night campaign and that's how i i kind of fixed the complexity another issue i ran into is the over the internet thing and being three five i've not learned fifth edition and i am ever since this campaign started i have now been more than ever motivated to pick up those books I, I want to learn fifth edition for these guys because i feel like combat would be way better the solutions i took instead just for like short term because you know those books get a little expensive is i picked up a tabletop simulator off the steam uh, uh the steam store i can leave a link for that oh, you can probably just look for it too it's just called tabletop simulator I've done Discord where I just share screens and I use Microsoft Paint. I've done that a few times. And my recent purchase, which I think is going to be great, is I bought a phone tripod that goes to about 67 inches, and that's a little over six feet. Oh, excuse me. And I'm able to set that tripod to hold my phone, and my phone has Discord, and I share screens. Oh, no, I don't share screens. I go video, and then I arc it so that my hands aren't shaking. I bought a six-foot charging cord. I have all the minis. And since I don't need to have the phone shaking around, moving around with me, I'm hoping in March's session next month, we, we actually get a good, a good chance to figure all this out, and I think it's going to be great. So we won't know until then, and we have a great... The momentum is just been so powerful we started off real slow just trying to learn each other trying to figure out each other's not only is it just learning each other's 
play styles. These guys have played before together in other tabletop games, but now we have this new player, and we have to learn our characters. They are also very good at role-playing. I'm going to introduce them in the, in the second half of this episode. I just wanted to make sure I, I kind of make I, I explain the challenges that I have with this campaign and how I solve those challenges, because I'm not going to sit here and just mope and dope around because that, that if I'm not invested, how can I expect my players to be so invested? Because that's what I want. I feed off that that great role-playing energy, and I can push with it. So I decided to be a little more flexible with some things, not all things. I made a map. I drew up a map, and I named it, and I named provinces and regions. I have a backstory where I explained very clearly that all the countries. Um, uh, territories had to team up together to fight Emerbrol, and it was still a failure, but not because of their lack of trying, but because it was really part of his plan. And so it, it shows the players yes, you have a force to reckon with, yes, he's crafty, can you overcome it? But at the same time, where do you want the story to go? I've solved the issues of just clunky mechanics. I'm gonna see how it works because with four players you have more turns. More turns means people start falling asleep so late at night, and everyone has jobs, you know? And I think, I think out of all things, this may be chronologically before the Dandy Boys, but I think this campaign can stand alone any given... It could have stand alone without the Dandy Boys. It It is hilarious. It is a mystery around every corner, not only with what I can throw at them, but also what they throw back at me. And I really hope that I get the same kind of energy out of the listeners um, from the Dandy Boys as I do from the Long Night. So if y'all stick around, I'll just get some water and I'll, I'll get right into the players and we can get moving. So be right back. Hello. Okay. Sorry, I just had a fight with my recording here. I'm going to try this again. I'm going to get back into introducing these characters for the long night. We have, like I said before, four players. We have a cleric, a monk, a rogue, and a wizard. Our new player, who's never played D&D, wants to play a wizard. And our experienced player... I think the most experienced player is the monk. I think he has the most experience. And then followed by the cleric. And then the cleric and the rogue have the same amount of experience. They play together. So Tortania is our cleric. And as a DM, and I hope as players too, when you hear that you have a willing cleric, it, it generally just boosts your spirits. Because you know that you've got some honest healing. some uh, Not honest healing, but you have reliable healing so that as a DM, you can kind of dish out a little bit stronger and, and not worry about them. Oh, are they running on potions? Because you have this pool of a of healing spells, especially in 3.5. Clerics get spontaneous casting to just, I cast a healing spell. I don't have to prepare it. It's just there. Tortania is a total folk because my player who is joining with, as this character, he has experience in 5th edition, and they have total folk 
in fifth, but not three five. So we kind of sit down and we sort of balance out some pros and cons. Uh, Tortanian moves slower than moves as if a human was wearing heavy armor, so ten feet slower. <clears throat> we have extra natural armor, but can't wear armor. We have increased wisdom and is there anything else? No, just increased wisdom, decreased dexterity. <clears throat> I, I get the wisdom because of the extensive age Tortani is. I believe we set at around 250 years old. I could be wrong. I know he has the actual number. And I think I think that's it. So Tortania is a lawful good cleric of Paylor, the god of light. And she has light and healing as her domain spells. Healing gives the bonus to actual healing uh, numerical values, which is really good. <clears throat> Tortania is one of the last of the Tortle Folk, as 3-5, we kind of just threw that in there. And she lived alone for so long until the sun blotted out. And as a rightful worshipper of Palor, she had to get to the bottom of it and found her way into this party of young strapping heroes that she wishes to help. Tortania has a very grandmotherly like per, um, personality, always like willing to talk about the, the the best way to overcome stuff is to trust into Paylor, but not like shoving it down your throat. The typical boundaries of I, I will talk your ear off and I will count this change on the table. <laughs> I also weigh several hundred pounds. <clears throat> the very first session, Tortania breaks a ladder like that gets them out of this cave. So yeah, we we've got like this nice kind of comedy, kind of just this sweet, heartwarming character who yeah is a is worships worships Paylor. So from there, we have our reliable healing source. So now we need our off tank. Our off tank is Dunfil Connolly. He is the monk. We had to sit down and kind of compare some stuff because also a player coming from 5th edition had a little more, I, I guess, enjoyable moments with that kind of combat. And the monk in 3-5 is, is, I believe, and this is my opinion, he's underpowered so early and even the late game is not as powerful as it could be anyway. So we found this nice homebrew kit that is more key and feels more like fluid monk fighter except he chose the sort of grapple pin approach and i was afraid at first that it would be too much damage i was i was thoroughly fearful for all the encounters that he would just wipe everything out wouldn't be enjoyable but come to kind of break it down he still had to do the touch attack to initiate the grapple wait a turn to get the pin and then all that damage comes out and the damage is only D12, which is just a great axe anyway, which you can get at level one. Dunfil is a part of the Veil Piercers, along with Saya, who we'll get to in a minute. The Veil Piercers are all about this mercenary gang of just loose ends that militarize themselves together, who have no problem to get out into the night and defend the innocence of whatever 
uh, dangerous foes may lurk in the, in the long night. And Dunfil was an ex-con, so we kind of have this back and forth of who recognizes him from his bad past, who recognizes him from his trying to correct his, his ways. He is a heavier set man, covered in tattoos, and is a very boisterous person, not not boasting of being the best of the best, but very, very loud and wanting to be cheery and tries to lighten the room in, in these dark times. We, we by no means see Dunfill as an alcoholic, but we can always RP that there's a flagon nearby or a flagon on him or he uses some sort of ale or spirits to heal himself. It's, it's just... Um, what is it, uh, wholeness of body, where you get to heal a certain amount of points based on a specific stat. But we, yeah, we RP it with, like, alcohol, and he's shrugging it off because he's a tough guy. But he still has a very sweet soul, and as monks do. So we've got the off-tank, who is grapple-based. He likes to keep the high-priority targets off of his teammates while they take care of all of the fodder. And we have our consistent healing so that our off-tank can stay on top, topped off on health. So we move over to our dot, uh, damage over time for those of you who don't know, who is our rogue. And it's straightforward. Um, another human. I didn't mention Dunfil's a human, but Saya and Dunfil are humans. Uh, Saya is choosing the more of the sneaky ranged portion of the sneak attack build. Kind of working with point blank shot, trying to get get the right footing, you know, and especially with we have a grappler in here, risking that chance to hit a teammate, but still synergizing with that flat footed sneak attack within 30 feet kind of deal. So she chooses to be able to hide and strike from a distance and get that sweet damage that's needed on all these significantly modified creatures of the night. Saya is loathes loathes religion, especially Paylor. And it, it makes this this really um tense dynamic whenever Tortania is just doing her best to lift the spirits of a struggling family. And Saya just wants to be like, if you want something you need to work for it. You need to be the you need to be your best you. Not like a arrogant God ain't shit and all that. It's more of don't trust what's going to abandon you because they're they're the ones sitting up in the sky. <clears throat> so the cool part about that, at least, is that we don't actually have Tortania Saya fighting because they do still need each other, but we have this social dynamic that changes the pace of how our conversations and encounters work there. We... We do see Saya as almost always the social, in um, the face, as people would say it. Not by choice. It just kind of happened. Uh, she has a really good, uh, like diplomacy. I think I think is trained a little bit and just always rolls well when we have the social experiments and kind of botches some of the the attack rolls and uh, the the running joke with that is cries and rogue because. It's great to have all the sneak attack damage, but you gotta hit. Last but not, le not least, we have Enor, the human wizard. 
Now, Enor is a joke because they asked me to make the character, and I just had to put something together. And Enor Mushair Exum, so Enormous Erection, is basically what I've named him, is the typical wizard. I didn't want to get... I did not want to take over this character because that is not something you want to do. But since I have experience in making characters, I just threw this wizard together. I found the proper feats. I got on the internet to kind of figure out what I can build for him. And I let him do all the personality traits and the, the hashing out of that. So what we ended up with is this new player who has un not unlimited power at his fingertips, but he has all the magics that he can learn and just cast whatever. Especially because in 3.5, all my years of playing, I think it's great that I'm still learning new stuff. There is a feat, I believe, called Arcane um, arcane Cogitation, where if as long as you leave a slot open in your allotted spells per day, you can use any spell that you haven't prepared, almost like the sorcerer can, but only once a day you can do this. It's it's kind of like if a sorcerer had a spell book, but now the wizard needs a spontaneous spell that will fit. So I gave him that because I don't want him to be stuck in all of the book, especially the spell compendium of 3.5. It is a monster to tackle, and it's not something that a new player should be sitting in front of trying to figure out his his abilities when he just needs to learn how he wants to play there's so many spells that he's learning and he is just an absolute joy to play we've known each other for so long so many years and the way he's playing this character isn't anything i've expected because I gave him true neutral so that he can play it the way he wants to. And he's already leaning towards chaotic, but chaotic neutral, which is always good because that's basically how the veil piercers are. They're supposed to be like chaotic neutral. Enor is not part of the veil piercers like Saya and Dunfil, but he is very laid back in the sense of, I want my money. I want to do this for this. And I, I want the things that are interesting to me. So, he yeah he he throws me throws me some curveballs that I, I need to learn and i actually have to look up rules and i'm telling you he picked up this character and the kit real fast and he's he's very adaptable to everything i can throw at them so we have to get these players to to like each other basically and the way i started them out is I kind of gave it into their court. I was like, y'all try to figure out a loose connection towards each other because what we're going to have is your first job that got you from level one to level two was just an escort job. And this was all just pre-made canon DM magic that they escorted fish from the East Coast to the center to be distributed. The center of the entire territory is Medet. And there in Medet... They just try to figure out what they want to do together. They assess their inventory. They look around at the workforce. And the first encounter I wanted to throw, especially at a new player and such low players, is goblins. There's nothing wrong with throwing goblins at people. So I give him a bounty on a work board. It says, hey, there is some missing people, missing supplies going nearby in this small community town. Uh, not town, collection of 
buildings called the Taquador. And we need heroes to, we're not looking for any organized defense force. We just need someone to help us. And you'll get, I think I said, four gold per goblin tooth, goblin fang you return. So right then and there, I have a incentive to kill for no lore seeking. It was just supposed to be blind justice murder. So I already gathered Saya and Enor's attention with just kill goblins, get money. Dunfil has no problem wanting to go do that. And of course, Tortania just wants to make sure her teammates are taken care of. And I will make sure to get right into that encounter on the next episode. I, I hope that these introductory to like, this is probably the third or fourth one now of a new campaign, aren't too long and boring. But I think it's very important to set the tone of each campaign, especially because they, they have their own breath. They have their own life because each player is important. Each player is special. And we see that with some games, Enor has a busy personal life. So sometimes he's in the game, sometimes he's not. And I kind of just autopilot. So we, we have this different dynamic, even with that, where sometimes the, the party just doesn't really know what to do because there's so many different pathways they can do because that's when Enor is still learning different things. And then there's the games where I'm just like basically giving away the breadcrumbs, you know, and that is only the early stages of Enor and the party because they are still learning each other. They all are still learning the game in general, and they're still learning to exist in this darkened world. So I hope you stick around and I'm going to keep trying to get this out because I've got some free time and I'm going to try to balance some, some leisure life and some, some important school life. So thank you guys for hanging around and y'all take care.